Hello and welcome to episode 107 for the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. And with me today, as always, is Nathan Fox in... I'm in L.A. Sweet. I think you're always in L.A. now. Feels like I am always in L.A. now, except for when I'm not, but I'm mostly in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> that would make sense, except when yeah. you're not. Uh, so are you... It has been, although I'm super excited that tonight is my last night class, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. I'm going to start teaching weekends only in San Francisco and weekends in L.A. and just bounce back and forth. And then I'll have a lot more flexibility to travel and whatnot, which I really want to do. So I will be all over the place, um, tutoring via Skype, of course, and uh, the live classes in two places. So yeah, it should should be fun. It's been a little hectic with the night classes here and the weekend classes in San Francisco. So uh, no, I'm I'm just going to rearrange the schedule. Plus, I've found that teaching Saturday, Sunday is just like the kids are so much more alive than they are when they're, you know, coming from work, dragging in at 6 p.m. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're going to give it a shot. We'll see. Yeah, cool. Uh, so we have the test in, what, three days now? Four days? Yeah, I'm, I'll am i be surprised if this comes out uh, before that, but uh, maybe there's a chance that this comes out uh, before the test on Friday. Uh, if it does, then, yeah, good luck. If not, then hope you did well. Yeah, <laughs> don't know what to say. <laughs> we up, we recorded an episode a little bit back about um, test day strategies. Yeah, and I intended to look up which one that was, but I will do so right now. It is episode ninety seven. Was uh, last admin, last minute advice for the June two thousand seventeen LSAT, and uh, our advice has not changed. Uh, last minute test advice has not changed since then. So if you want last minute tips, and this does come out on Friday, uh, go back to episode 97. Otherwise, whenever you're listening to this, if you're about to take an LSAT and you want last minute tips, go to episode 97, check it out. Yeah, uh, a couple students last night in class were wondering if we were going to create another one of those today. No, we are not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we we could say the exact same things, but uh, no, I mean, this test, this Saturday is prep test 82, and uh, the test on December 2nd is prep test 83. And if you listen to episode 97, you'll hear us talk all about uh, last minute test day stuff. And I don't really think we need to say that again. You, you don't have any new tips, do you, Ben? Uh, yeah, I've learned a lot since the last test. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think they're just looking for... You know, a lot of our shows, I guess, repeat themselves, right? Like pretty much what we say every time is pretty much the same thing that we've said every time before. That's true. So maybe they're just looking for like another affirming episode that everything is going to be okay. Um, (laughs) Everything is going to be okay. I mean, this is not the end of the world. That's one of the one of our tips, right? Is like, hey, if you start treating this as the be all end all most important day of your life. That's a good way to kind of fuck it up. Yeah. I mean, you just got to... I mean... Yeah, I know. I, I, I completely agree. You just have to remember that this is just an assessment of your self-worth. It's nothing beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it also determines where you're going to go to law school and how much you're going to pay to go there oh. and probably what kind of a job you're going to get after law school. Yeah. And, de- and 
your future spouse. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, depending on how much money you make, right, that's <laughs> going to determine your prospects for, uh, for yeah, whatever. So it is um, only important in that respect. Otherwise, <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, hey, um, let's see here. What else was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say this. I've been um, emphasizing more lately the value of taking a deep breath. I think it's something that's yeah. a little scoffed, but it is not just psychological. It's also physiological. Uh, when you do take a deep breath, it redirects blood to your prefrontal cortex. I read that in the scientific sounding thing, so I'm 62% <laughs> sure that it's right. <laughs> and so, but either way, I think it's kind of like the smiling thing. You know, if you smile when you're not yeah, happy, yeah. you actually start to feel a little happy. I think if you take a deep breath, you start to feel uh, more relaxed, even if you know you're somewhat tricking yourself, right? Like no one who ever in the history of humanity um, faced a lion or a tiger um, took a deep breath. It's just not a thing that we do in those situations usually unless we're trying to clear our head and make the right decision. And then it does. It relaxes us and helps us think straight instead of just panicking and fighting. So um, yeah. I would suggest uh, use this underused technique. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I might steal a little bit of that. I, I've been talking a lot lately about just taking one more moment you know, like I get the question all the time, you know, hey, Nathan, how long do you, how long do you take on the logic games when you're making your setup? How long do you take before you go on to the questions? Mm -hmm. And my answer has become uh, one more moment longer than you do. Mm. That right? I mean, yep. that's, that's the difference mm -hmm. is like, well, I take a second and I think about it and that's a good opportunity for a deep breath too, right? Yeah. Uh, before you go on to the questions, maybe just take one more deep breath, let it settle in. I do it on the logical reasoning all the time, or or the reading comprehension too. Yeah, you read the first sentence, and the first sentence is really long and convoluted, and it's got some some uh, language in there that maybe you don't fully understand. And just take that breath and let it sink in for a second. Think about it for a second, and it, you know might you might see some aspect of it that you didn't see previously. Mm -hmm. And it, it could make the whole rest of everything else that follows <clears throat> go a lot smoother. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think we've hit this a lot before, but I just feel so much different when I take a moment to think about what's confusing me and things come into focus and it makes sense. And I'm like, oh okay, all you're saying is this, and then everything just flows from there, you know? And so um, if, if you don't take that time, then you're just going to be struggling the whole time through the passage, through the answer choices, through whatever, and that's what takes you time, and that's what gets you questions wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let's jump into some of these emails, unless you have anything else to announce. No, no, we have a Hurricane Harvey update on the agenda here. Is that just still relic from last time? Yeah, I think so. No update on Harvey, sorry. Yeah, uh, Irma has come and gone. <laughs> and it's uh, beautiful sunshine here in Los Angeles. So there's your update from LA. Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to come to the podcast for news, we'll just let you know that 
a week ago. The power was out, I think. Anyways. Um, yeah, so do you want to jump into this uh, first email? Sure. Yeah. It says, uh, I discovered your podcast and, and have really enjoyed it. I've served as a naval intelligence officer for the past eight years, and I'm looking to transition out and apply for law school. I'm 30 years old, and I last took the LSAT eight years ago following undergrad and scored a 160 following a few months of self-study. Tuition. I'll be eligible for the GI Bill, which usually pays most tuition along with a housing allowance. Would I be able to fence off merit scholarships from law schools for cost-of-living expenses? The GI Bill only pays what's left over following academic scholarships, so it would be in my interest to apply these scholarships to costs other than tuition. I'm married and have a kid on the way, so I'd rather not go into debt for law school. Uh, do you know anything about people doing that, Ben? Have you ever heard of that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either, but um, I thought it was an interesting issue because I just thought you should ask. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I think that you should just totally ask. I mean, be straightforward with them. They're not. They're familiar with the GI Bill. They know what's yeah. up, and they know that if. They give you tuition scholarship. It doesn't actually do anything for you mm -hmm. uh, if you're on the GI Bill, and they also know that you are getting a housing allowance. Yeah, but they probably have other grants. They probably have other shit. There's there's probably ways. They have ways if they really wanted yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, because they know you're going to get paid. They're they want you bad because you. They know the government's going to just be cutting checks, right, for tuition. Yeah, it's like the doctor in an insurance triangle. They want you to get as much money exactly. as you can. Right. So I would definitely think you could go talk to them and say, hey, listen, you know, I know you were thinking about giving me a 50% scholarship because I looked at your 509 report and I know that you would normally give someone like me a 50% scholarship. But um, I don't want that. I want something else instead. Yeah. Because of the GI Bill. Yeah. You know, you guys know how it goes. I don't know. Can you do that without sounding super shady? <laughs> I think probably. I, um, I wonder if it would be better to do that in a conversation on the phone. Not in writing. Yeah, not in writing. Just so you can also like gauge how the person is responding, right? Depending on how yeah. they're responding. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we would suggest this. And you can kind of keep going down that road or if they're like, uh, well... Yeah. And then you're like, actually, I'm not too sure about this. I'll get back to you. <laughs> or, you know, when they offer you, when they offer you whatever they offer you, you could also respond just super gratefully and then throw in, hey, you know, though, my GI bill is going to pay the tuition anyway. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if I could apply this to fees or to books or to, I mean, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cost of living. Um, yeah, something else. I got this baby on the way. Maybe you could pay the for the baby for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh shit. I don't know. Here's my here's my baby registry. Maybe you could buy everything on the baby registry. <laughs> yeah, it's at Target. <laughs> no, Neiman Marcus. Oh yeah, yeah. Well you could get a lot of things uh, at Target. Yeah, I know, but if they're gonna twenty five thousand dollars a year times three, buy buy everything at Target. I, I might want to step it up a little bit if you're gonna get that much money out of them. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, GPA at the Naval Academy, I had to take a lot of math slash science slash engineering courses, 
And while I managed all right, my overall GPA was a 3.33. I was a political science major, and in my major's field, my GPA was a 3.85. What's the best way to emphasize my major's GPA? Um, I would just... Well, is that something that people do? I think so. It's a fact. You write three sentences that just in an addendum, the purpose of this memo is to assist the committee in assessing my transcript um, at the Naval Academy. I took a lot of math and science engineering courses and I had a GPA of 3.33 or, you know, whatever. These, these courses are graded in this way. These are very difficult. You know, I actually did very well in these classes, but my in my major, I had a 3.85, which I think is a better indication of how I will perform in law school. I don't know. Yeah, what do you think about um, spinning it along these lines? Uh, I took these classes. Well, he said he had to take a lot of math, science, engineering courses. It's the Naval Academy. It's impressive. Like when I hear three point three three from the Naval Academy, I'm like, damn, that's good. You know, they're not; those are ser- they're, they're they're pretty serious. Like it's going to be rigorous math and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, now that I'm reading it, it says he had to take them. I don't know if this would work, but I was thinking something along the lines of, um, although I didn't have to take these courses for my major, uh, I wanted to. T- pursue challenging courses nonetheless to better understand these fields and to make sure this is the the degree I wanted to pursue or something. I don't know. So you're telling him to lie? <laughs> well, I forgot. <laughs> no, I don't know. It could be the truth. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that he said he had to take them. So, but I'm just thinking like sometimes people do take classes that are challenging and that could be kind of spun yeah. in a, like a good light. Sure. Like, oh, you're not just going to school to get a grade and get out of the system. You're going there to learn and hey, that cost you sure. GPA, but yeah yeah i mean i think there's a lot of ways you could do it you could say something about how he you know he took these classes with all these very competitive um you know because it's like aeronautical engineering and yeah. stuff and he might have been taking classes next to some serious badasses in those math and engineering classes yeah and so yeah you could you could point out the fact it's a fact that your major's gpa was 3.85 and you can interpret that fact as I think this is more representative of how I'll perform in law school. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fine to say. It. Just keep it short and you know not whiny. Mm-hmm. Um, timeline for study: <clears throat> I'll have up to one to two years before I can get out. That is of the Navy. So, what would be the ideal amount of time to study for the LSAT? Is a year too long? Thank you so much for putting on such a great podcast, Brett. What do you think? Yeah, a year is too long to plan for from the beginning. Just uh, shoot for the next LSAT at this point, probably the December one, assuming you have time right now. Mm. And Oh, yeah. He's assuming he can't take the LSAT while he's still in the Navy. Oh. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. I well, see, because my first thing was I, I just immediately was like, oh, well, a year to two, a year or two is not too long. I mean, if you started practicing now and did games a little bit every day for a long ass time, you would become perfect at the games, mm-hmm. right? You could just become the best ever at the LSAT logic yeah. games, which would be awesome, yeah. and it would be fun. I think it could be fun to just do those all the time, right? It's like getting super good at Sudoku or whatever. Yeah, just start a and, test one, be one of those crazy people. 
just and just do all the games yeah. and just do them over and over. Just that's your little morning routine that you just play the logic games all the time. That would be, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But then, yeah, you're right, Ben. Why, why wouldn't you put, he already took the test before and got a 160. Why not put December 2nd on your calendar and mm-hmm. see if you can get ramped up? You don't have to register Yeah, just for shoot it. for it, see where you're scoring, and then make a decision as you get more information. I feel like it's a very common question that I get at the beginning of classes for people who have more time. They're sort of like, well... I'm not necessarily applying this cycle. So should I take your class or should I study first and then take your class later leading up to the next LSAT? And I'm always like, well, just take it and start seeing how you do and start getting familiar with how to study, how to think about all this stuff. And then if you get close to a score that you'd be happy with to where you want to go to school, then take it along with the rest of the class and if you're not, then you have the luxury of postponing. But once you do postpone, yeah. you will have the class behind you, which just means you'll know exactly how to study. You'll know what you want to do for those next few weeks uh, or months, I guess, a couple months. And then you'll take the test and get what you want. Like, I, yeah, I don't really see a point in planning on a really long schedule. Right. Right. People always think that they, I think maybe part of it is they want to target a specific test date so that they can plan out their study, their study schedule so that they, they're worried that they're going to have a gap in between their studying mm. and their actual test, I think. They yeah. think they're going to go backward if they have a gap, which doesn't really happen. It doesn't really take a lot to stay sharp. And the sooner you take all of this information on board, the sooner you can start practicing it and just incorporating it all into your game. And then you quickly get to a point where all you have to do is do, you know, a section or two here or there. One test a week is plenty to maintain. Oh yeah. And actually probably continue making progress. So yeah. Yeah. If you're doing it right. I mean, if you're actually getting something out of it, (laughs) the one test a week. Yeah, but it, it like once you've hit that score, I mean, a lot of this is now you know how to think uh, really carefully about things. You don't. It's not like a memorization test where you're like, oh, right. I'm forgetting. Like, w- what does this stuff mean? As long as you do it once a week, and then you can really dig into the tests that you take. And in some ways, it's just become so much easier <laughs> because it's more relaxing, and thus you make even more progress because you're not stressed out. Yeah, I mean, if you get your scores up to where you you want them close close to where you want them then one section today review that section tomorrow another section the next day another se- review that section the next day so yeah. that's like 35 minutes a day probably yeah <clears throat> and not only would you maintain but you'd actually keep making progress i think yeah okay thanks brett you want to do this next one ben sure dear nathan and ben i am a big fan of your podcast i'm slightly nervous reaching out because i don't want to sound stupid I will also do my best not to write a wall of text. Here's a brief overview of me. Graduated in 2016 with a major in philosophy from the College of Holy Cross, 3.5. Scored a 151 on my first diagnostic and have been studying since July. Committed to staying in Boston for law school because of family and financial reasons. Applying to Boston University, Boston College, Northeastern, Suffolk, and New England School of Law. This is what I want to know. Am I a fool? Wait, why? <laughs> no. What? Uh, what's your reaction to that? Uh, 
<clears throat> for thinking about going to law school, period? Or going, I guess, shooting for these schools? I can't wait to find out. Let's see here. Is it foolish of me to think I could get into Boston University or Boston College? Is it foolish of me to be concerned with lower-tier law schools having lower job placement rates? Oh, no, that's not foolish. Mm -mm. Uh, is it foolish of me to think I could score 160? Mm -mm. No, not at all. Is it foolish of me to apply this cycle if my goal is to attend a good law school and receive a scholarship? No. Um, no. 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 And no. So, so far, not a fool. Not a fool. <laughs> not a fool ranking, four to zero. Uh, Ten points improvement on the LSAT is pretty pedestrian, I would say. Uh, 151 on your first diagnostic means 161 is easily within range in probably a few months for most people. Should, we should clarify that, by the way. Uh, if you study the right way and do what we suggest, right? Like it's, I think it's, it's an achievement yeah. um, uh, in the sense that that means if people have figured out how to study, they figured out how to, to go about this. And so it's not something that should be like discarded, right? Because a lot of people put in the time and they don't make that much progress, probably because they're not doing it the right way. Yeah, I mean, I right. I in in my classes, I would expect you to make a ten point improvement from your first diagnostic to your final LSAT score. Uh, yeah, if you do the shit I ask you to do, if you show up, ask questions, pay attention, do the homework. Um, yeah, ten, just ten points is a doable amount of improvement for most people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, studying by yourself or studying some shitty Kaplan book, or you know, there's a lot of ways that you can stall out and not make progress. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we we see ten point improvements <clears throat> regularly, mm -hmm. and fifteen and twenty point improvements sometimes. So yeah, there's no, I don't <laughs> one fifty one to one sixty one. That's a kind of an improvement that people make all the time. Yeah. And then, Especially in that range. Yeah, and then you want to take check the LSAT GPA calculator and you want to check the 509 reports, but 161 and a 3.5 I'm sure would get you scholarship money to one of these schools. I mm -hmm. don't know exactly BUBC, but I think yeah, Northeastern for sure is a scholarship kind of a school, I think I've heard. I don't shit, I don't know. Um, but you can find that out with uh, publicly available data, I think. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he continues, uh, paying full price to attend a law school outside the top 14 like BUBC might be dumb. It might be dumb even if it was a school inside the top 14. Yes. Paying for law school is dumb unless you have really good reasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to rename the Thinking LSAT podcast. Paying for law school is dumb. The last episode I, I titled Don't Pay for Law School. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. I oh, mean, I see it now. Yeah, I do see it. Yeah. Well, that was oh, so the you're the one title. who's titling these episodes. No, it well, said? it's been Adam. Adam, our, our editor, has been kicking ass with uh, the titles, but I, uh, I, I usurped his power on the last one and oh. paid for law school. Yeah. Is he going to keep working for us? I hope so, because he's, yeah. he's been doing a really good job. <laughs> yeah, Adam, please stay. Yeah. All right, so he says, but attending a lower tier, a low-tiered law school on a scholarship with a lower job placement rate and a lower bar passage rate may also be dumb. Mm, 
Yeah, but it's it's like it's so much less risky though. If you're not paying for it, the risk is dramatically reduced. Yeah, it depends the, on what you mean by honest scholarship. If it's a partial scholarship, they yeah. that may be stupid because you're still paying a lot of money for something that may not really pan out too well. Right. I'm trying to reconcile these two points in my head. So far, all I've been able to do is stress myself out. <laughs> Stop stressing. Don't worry. The yeah, first thing I mean, you have to do is take the LSAT and then just start right. running the numbers. Right. Why are you Why are you worrying about this stuff? Um, it's like the email I got yesterday from some student who is studying for the LSAT and emailing me with all these technical minutiae about how to calculate the LSAC GPA. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, upload your transcripts and start studying for the LSAT. What are you doing? You, your, your calculation doesn't matter. Their calculation is what matters, and they'll do it for you. It's part of the, the fee that you pay. So yeah. sign up for the Credential Assembly Service, upload your transcripts, and stop asking me about this. Like, Let's talk about the LSAT. That's let's clarify. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Let's clarify exactly what that person is doing. They are going to a nice restaurant, they're eating there, and then they are cleaning their dishes for the yeah. person who <laughs> should be coming and collecting them and taking care of them for themselves. They just paid for that. Have someone else take care of the transcript thing. There's nothing you can do about it. So yeah. just have them do it and tell you what the number is, and you're like, thank you. Yeah, all this freaking out is like procrastination. You know, mm. it's uh, this correspondent is <clears throat> should be studying for the LSAT and instead is um, panicking about job placement, which is just so far down the road. I mean, if you improve from a one fifty one to a one sixty five or a one seventy one, um, all of a sudden maybe you're going to get a full ride to BU or BC. Yeah, or you're going to open the door to. Shit, I don't know. Harvard Law School. I don't. Probably not with three point five. But still, there's there's a there's all kinds of doors that can open if you get the LSAT score in the right place. So stop with all of this and just do your LSAT stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just talked to a student last night. Actually, he said that uh, he was interested in signing up for the class. And then I said, oh, okay, great. And then I said, well, he said he works at a big law firm here in town. And I said, oh, good, so you know what you're getting into. And he said, yeah, somewhat. I don't know if I want to do this. But my parents basically said, take the test and uh, just see if you, like, it was something like, see if you, just try and fail at that. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, just, just go and try and fail at that. And if you don't fail... If you do really well, then maybe this is something you might want to consider pursuing. It wasn't like you must take the LSAT and go to law school. It was just sort of like, well, just go out there and mess this up, you know? And if you don't mess it up, maybe it's something you should pursue or think about pursuing more. And I, I thought that was kind of a refreshing. I feel like most <laughs> times I hear people saying, like, I have to succeed at this. I'm not like, it's not like trying to see if it's a bad path. It's just trying and you have to do really well. Otherwise, all is lost. Yeah, I don't hate it at all. I I like I like try it, see if it works. I mean, that's basically what I've done with my life and my career, and everything has worked out pretty well for me by just eh, I don't know, give this a shot. Try not to go deep into debt as a result of it, right? Yeah. But if you can try shit for free, that's why going to law school on a scholarship is awesome because you go to this low rank school, and if you don't pay tuition, 
maybe you kick ass there. If you kick ass there, good things are going to happen to you if you kick ass at law school. Any law school you go to, if you kick ass there, it's going to go well for you. Mm -hmm. Because it means that you like lawyering and you've found your little spot and, you know, like things are going to go well. And especially if you don't pay for it. On the other hand, if you go to law school on a scholarship and you suck, you hate it, Mm -hmm. you lose your scholarship, well, then you just drop out. Yeah. No sweat. There's a million other things you can do in life. You're going to be dead soon. So just move on. Do the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. You now know that this isn't something you don't want to do. And so you're gone. He uh, he continues. Um, hmm. Well, this is along the same lines. But in your in your opinions, which is more advisable: attending a law school at full price that is higher ranked and has better job placement statistics (BUBC) or attending a school with a scholarship that is lower ranked and has worse placement statistics (Northeastern, etc.)? I mean, I think if you're not sure, err on the side of yeah. going to school for free. Yeah. Uh, it's really only when you're going to a really awesome school and it's like, yeah, I'm willing to pay money for that. Um, yeah. And then you really have to think about it. But sometimes it is worth it. Sometimes you you want to do things after law school that you just can't do at lower-ranked schools. And so you got to pay the money to play the game. I think the question is basically, do you want to go to big law? You know, Big or law do, or clerkship or something like that. Yeah, do you know exactly what you're, like, how savvy are you? Do you know what you're talking about? If you know what you're talking about, you could say, oh, well, yeah, but I need to go to BU because BU has these placements that I can't get anywhere else and I have to do it and it's worth yep. the money. Yep. If you know it's worth the money, then fine. But I think, what do you think, Ben? A rebuttable presumption. Oh, I can't believe I've, I'm hearing that word. Mm-hmm. How long has it been? Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. That's rebuttable. Right, pre- I like it. I like it. Go ahead. A rebuttable presumption: Don't pay for law school. Just don't pay for law yeah. school. And now yeah. you're free to rebut that presumption. But the standard baseline is: Don't pay for law school. And then, if you would like to rebut that with, uh, you know, I have to go to work for this big law firm, and they don't hire at these other schools, so I have to pay. So that I can go get this big law job, and I know what that means, and I—that's exactly the path that I want to be on, and I'm going to go on that path. Fine, then you have rebutted the presumption, and that's cool. But yeah, and then of course, like another way to rebut the presumption is I got into Stanford. Okay, you got into Stanford, go to Stanford. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, any other in between, it's like uh, <laughs> I don't know. How strongly do you feel about it? Because the the baseline don't pay. It's just very sensible, I think. Yeah. The burden's on you to prove otherwise. And here's the other thing. I think it helps bring the costs uh, into focus, right? So if, you're, if your presumption is, I'm not going to pay for law school, and then you're presented with a situation where you can pay for law school, I mean, no, not can, <laughs> uh, would either have to pay to go or um, not pay and go somewhere else, you could think to yourself, wait a sec, okay, so now I'm faced with a bill that I wasn't planning to have. I have to pay a hundred plus thousand dollars to go to X school. And then you could say to yourself, but wait, if I pay in time or a little bit of money for LSAT advancement, maybe I can now you pay that instead, get a higher LSAT score and end up not paying for law school but still going to this better school, right? Like it really brings the costs into focus. Like you're really going to shell out a hundred thousand plus dollars 
or just take a little more time, get the score you know you can get, and then pay yeah. half of that. Dude, it's 100000 at the low end. I know. I'm making this argument irrefutable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, someone can't, well, it's not that much. Yeah, it's that much at a minimum. Yeah, it's it's way more than that. Um, <clears throat> okay, cool. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. Um, I, people don't realize how often people improve their LSAT score by 15 points or 20 points, which is a life-changing, you know, $150,000 tuition <laughs> discount. Yeah. So, yeah, take the time. Spend a little bit of money on LSAT prep. I, it's obviously self-serving for us to say that, but uh, it's true. It's true if you're serious about this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, you know, yeah, I mean, it's funny too, because like I'm sure you do have been the students that aren't really serious. Mm. It's hard to advise those people. Yeah. Cause they don't they don't know how serious all the competition is. They they just don't have any idea what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I <clears throat> I decided I'm only gonna take the LSAT once. Uh yeah, I'm just gonna prep for it. I'm just gonna take this one class and not really do all of it and not really show up all the time and never do any homework and I'm just going to take the LSAT on this upcoming test date and just yeah whatever I um, no I'm definitely applying this cycle yeah I'm going to go yeah it's either it's either now or I got to go on and do something else in my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm just going to give it this one shot and then just see how it goes and then yeah I'm going to apply and just see what you know see where I end up <laughs> okay yeah that sounds like the problem is it sounds like me when I was applying to law school and you know on the verge of financial catastrophe yeah anyhow um so this yeah he continues as odd as this may sound you nathan and you ben feel like friends to me oh thanks uh sorry if this sounds silly but the candor with which you converse on the podcast is enduring and authentic wow that was was a poetic sentence yeah yeah i truly enjoy listening exclamation point Well, you all feel like friends to us too. You really do. I love hearing from the listeners. And yeah, <laughs> it does. It's like a big family. Uh, he ends. I'm sorry if this email constitutes a wall of text. Yeah, it's not bad actually. It's pretty good. I really appreciate your willingness to help me, a stranger. Sincerely, a stranger no more. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. I hope that all helped. right. Next email. Subject line: What the fuck am I doing this for? <laughs> I had to include that subject line. Usually we don't have them. <laughs> Please don't mention my name if you're going to share this. You can call me Sam. Okay. I'm a new listener, and the first episode I listened to was episode 101. So if I didn't already feel like shit about myself, now I do. That must have been the episode where there was all the 170s in a row. <laughs> the wall of 170s. <laughs> yeah, someone Sorry else mentioned that. that in class the other day. They're like, what the heck happened? I'm like, oh, that's just how it is. That's just... Yeah. That's just everyone we talked to, 170 or above. (laughs) I studied English after jumping between majors like engineering and speech therapy, hence my 3.5 GPA. Went into English under the pretense that law school would be the long-term goal. I want to work with marginalized students. Activists like the what? AKA money is not the motivation. Currently, I'm studying for September because June sucked. This whole process of taking the LSAT has not done good things for my self-worth. My June score, 151. Current practice test scores, 158 through 162. Dream school, American University. 
Current self-worth. I hate myself. I'm not an idiot. These scores are telling me otherwise. Um, can we stop there for a second? Yeah, I mean, this is a little ironic because we talked about self-worth at the beginning of the podcast, but we were totally joking. Yeah, we are totally joking. This score does not indicate your self-worth. Uh, furthermore, I I like smart people, and if you could score 160 on the LSAT, you're not like a slouch. Oh, definitely not. Um, there are a lot of people who will never score 160 on the LSAT, and... If you're scoring 158 to 162, yeah, that's a score that's better than many, 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 many other people. So unless everyone in the world is an idiot, you're not an idiot. That's yeah. ridiculous. You're what is that? 75th percentile? Uh, let's see. Yeah, 162 is this, yeah 77th percentile. No, no, actually, sorry. Excuse me. It's the 85th percentile. Damn, 162 is? 85th yeah. percentile? Okay. 85th percentile. So, And I think a lot of people don't realize that. When you get to 164, 165, you're now in the 90th percentile. You're in the top 10%. Yet a lot of people think, oh, I'm in the low 160s or mid 160s. I, I'm so far from 170. You're in the top 10%. And once you get yeah. to 170, you're in the top 3%. Yeah, even people say, like I get people who are really studying hard and you know, they're, they're clearly, their heart's in the right place. They really want it. They're totally earnest about it. They've improved a lot, but then they are so frustrated because they can't consistently get into the 160s. But hey, only like 10% or 15% of people, all the people, all the hardworking, smart people out there, only 10 or 15% of them are going to be in the 160s. So it, there's no reason to hate yourself about it. Yeah. Right now you're at the 80th percentile. That's, you know, only, only 20% of the test takers are doing better than that and that's yeah and that's just one isolated skill so the whole self-worth thing is going way too far that competition is college graduates young professionals some of the most serious hardest working smartest people in the world are taking yeah. the LSAT right I mean this is the hardest test of English that I know of and and it's the most dense reading and logic and English test yeah. in the world and you're beating four out of five people on it that's of the people taking it which is what yeah five percent of college graduates okay so chill out on the i hate myself i'm an idiot it doesn't help anything anyway um plan b if i get another shitty score i'm dropping the prospect uh sorry i'm dropping the prospect of law school and picking up a publishing internship I feel strongly about this right now. Okay. I say drop it right now. It doesn't sound like he's doing it for the right reasons. No, you don't. <clears throat> it doesn't sound like you have any idea what you're getting yourself into. You know, it doesn't sound like you really want to be a lawyer. It doesn't sound like you have any idea what this is all about. If, if it's going to be just... I hate myself because I can't score a 170 and you know one more bad score and I'm I'm just done with it then that's just not a lawyer. <laughs> a lawyer is willing to take this thing 10 times if necessary. Either way, I mean I I happily tell people to quit and do something else. If this doesn't feel right for you, if it's not going well for you, if you if there's anything else that you think you maybe would rather be doing, then by all means, quit and go do something else. There's a million other things you could do. And it doesn't have to be a 
shameful, you know, failure. It's just, hey, yeah. there's other shit out there. I'll go do some. I'll go do something else. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. On the other hand, if you really are want to be a lawyer, if you really know what that's about, and you, if that's something that you know you you really want to do, then yeah, you're you're gonna have to persist a little bit more at something like this because. This is only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, law school is a three-year grind, and the bar exam is hard, and legal practice is hard. Yeah. So when I hear people saying, you know, one more bad LSAT score and I'm out of here, why don't you just go do something else right now? I don't know. Is law school really the joke you claim it is? Is there any way... For me to avoid graduating with debt, I don't want to pay for law school, but is it even a possibility for me? Are my dreams going to die in law school if all I want is to work in a nonprofit? <laughs> oh, we could do 10 episodes in a <laughs> row about all that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I say law school is a joke. I it's for some people it's not a joke I, it is a it is a big academic competition from what i saw um i didn't enjoy any of the things we studied i i was i was seriously bored i, I did not feel like i learned anything useful um are my dreams going to die in law school if all i want is to work at a nonprofit I have seen it happen m- yeah, many, apparently, many times. Apparently, before. it's a thing, according to the New York Times article or whatever newspaper it was talking about the law school effect. That, I mean, I'd never heard of that before, yeah. but it's a thing that people apparently study. So, yeah. I, I used to watch the news. I used to give a shit. And one effect of me going to law school is to, I don't care anymore. I, I'm not like, I am not really a political person anymore. I, I vaguely am interested, but I, I I don't. I came out feeling definitely like I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So who cares? Um. So, <laughs> yeah, that can happen to people. It definitely happened to me. Um. And I know very sweet, very earnest people who really wanted nothing but to change the world who went to law school and then got very discouraged about their ability to contribute and um, ended up, you know, working in yeah. human resources. So are your dreams going to die in law school? Uh, possibly. I, <laughs> sometimes people's dreams just die as they get older too, right? So it doesn't have to be law school. It could be just you get older, you get closer to the working world and you realize that there's realities out there and you know, your fantasies, your dreams might die in other places. I can imagine that people's dreams don't die, especially if they're, if they go in with their eyes open, knowing what they're getting into and they have the, the perseverance and the, um, a, a specific goal in mind of going to law school, getting out and helping a particular group of people in a particular way. But, I'm concerned that Sam has sort of a vague notion of helping marginalized right. student activists. Um, I'm and so yeah, I'm worried that it's just that. one of those yeah. like, oh, I feel like lawyers do this, therefore I'm going to help them. I could be wrong, Sam. Maybe you know exactly what you're going to be doing, and you know people who do this already. I think that's the real key. 
you know someone who does this. I was talking to someone the other day. I can't remember what field they were talking about. And I was like, oh, there's attorneys that actually do that? And they're like, yeah, and I know one of them, and this is why I want to do it. And I was like, well, there you go. You know what you want to do, and you know it's doable. Uh, so many people have ideas that are just not even doable or done because there's no money in it. And so it's not sustainable, and there's not people who are even donating to that sort of cause. So it's a pipe dream, which means, of course, it will yeah. die once you realize what's going on in law school. Right, right. Yeah, and it's not just people who want to like save the world too, right? We've laughed before about people that are going to become entertainment attorneys or they're going to become, uh, you know... I'm going to be an animal yeah. law attorney. It's like, well, okay, who? Yes. Name name one. Like, do you have a do you have a mentor? Can you show me a path to this career? And if you have a mentor who does this work and you know where they went to law school and you can you can see a route there, then good. That's a that's a route. That's a thing that actually happens. But if you have this fantasy of like I'm going to help them marginalized something or other, then it's like, well, ooh. yeah. Uh, how? Yeah. Who? What? What's that job? Who's going to pay you? How do you get paid for that? I, I don't. Your employer yeah. is going to be who? Um, for, as far as these other questions go, uh, is there any way for me to avoid graduating with debt? I don't want to pay for law school, but is that a possibility? Well, yes. With a one hundred and sixty, you should be able to get yourself some really good scholarships somewhere. Three point five and a one hundred and sixty. Anything? Yeah. Start with that Thomas school or whatever. Well, even, I mean, so this correspondent is saying dream school, uh, Sam is saying dream school American. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's what's American think about a 3.5 and a 162? Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but that sounds good. American is a, a, a good school, but it's definitely not uh, super competitive. So. Well, it's like the fourth or fifth best school in the area, right? Yeah. There's, so there's uh, several other schools above it. So so they know they have to pay you to go there. So yeah, 162, 165, 3.5, possible full ride to American, and then yeah, okay. So now you you probably have some debt for living expenses, but you didn't have to pay the ridiculous law school tuitions. And then maybe you find your niche while you're there. Maybe it works out for you. Yeah. Um, I would just say, you know, the the presumption has not been rebutted here. You you should. This is a pretty clear to me. Don't go if you're going to pay for it. Yeah. And then if if you figure out a way to not pay for it, then then yeah, absolutely. But the LSAT score is going to determine. Yeah. So their seventy uh, fifth percentile LSAT at American is one fifty nine, and their GPA is a uh, three point six for the seventy fifth percentile. So. So this is a median GPA and a very likely above 75th percentile LSAT score, which is, you know, maybe it's not a full ride, but it's going to be 50% probably. Yeah. Just rough guessing. Look at the 509 and you could see, but it, um, yeah, get an even better LSAT score and see if you can negotiate yourself a full ride and then... That might be a good place to pursue your dreams, but otherwise, you know, you, if you're going to pay a lot of money for this, you got to have a pretty clear path to a job. I think. Yeah. Um, bottom line: your podcast got me asking myself, "What the fuck am I doing this for?" If law school is going to destroy my motivation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, frankly, I'm not looking to change the world. I just want the legal knowledge 
to protect myself and others from the crap system that exists. That right there is a definitely don't go to law school. Yeah. Don't go to law school. If you want to know legal knowledge, Wikipedia is right there in your face. There is nothing stopping you from learning everything you want to know about the law school and the crap system that exists. Law school is not going to teach you about the system. Law school is it's an academic competition. It's a certification for people that want to practice law. It is not a good place to learn how to be a better citizen or to pr- protect yourself and others. That is really one of the most naive things I think that people say. Yeah. Am I saying that too strongly? Nope. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because I, I just, when I hear that, I just cringe. Like, oh, I want to, I just need to know about the, I don't want to know about our system. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be a lawyer. I just want to learn about the system. Oh God, don't go to law school. Yeah. One thing you got to realize is that most people succeed in whatever they're doing, including protecting other people, by getting in and executing, not because of the knowledge that they have. Sure, the knowledge is is a prerequisite. You have to know what's going on. But ultimately, your success is going to be, do you get in, roll your sleeves up, and get to work? Um, not do uh, you go to law school and now have, I mean, even going to law school, you're not going to get that much knowledge. You're not going to get the special knowledge that you need to really succeed. That's why everyone who goes to law school then goes to a law firm and sucks the payroll out of that firm until they know what's going on and can actually contribute and get work done. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nothing stopping you from getting the knowledge no lawyer goes to law school and then represents themselves. That's not what you do. I mean, you, you're not going to go to law school and protect yourself. You're not going to go to law school and, and protect. Uh, unless you get a job, you're not going to be protecting anyone else as a lawyer. Yeah. Right? It's not like the knowledge is going <laughs> to just, now you're going to be some superhero that goes around town protecting people. No, you're going to have a job and you're going to have clients and you're going to protect those clients. But not. it's not like you're some... Now, could someone like me actually get into law school? Yes. Accumulate minimal debt? Yes. And still feel good about myself? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that this could work out for you if you if you get a great LSAT score, get some go somewhere for free. And maybe it would work out, but this is sounding like a probably not to me. Yeah. Much respect, Sam. P.S. The podcast is awesome. Wish I had found it a year ago. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for writing in. Thanks. All right, this next email, uh, that is a long email. Skip what do you it. think? I think we might have to. Fine by me. I'm sorry. It's several paragraphs long. Like Yeah. Like <clears throat> 12. Should we name... Names? I mean, names. It's, uh, we're gonna start. Well, names. just so that we can shout out to say, "Hey, can you write again?" Yeah, I'm sorry. August. Is that who this is? Yes, this is Please. August. Um, you know, we should have probably written you back. Maybe I should have written you back and said, "Hey, can you give us a shorter version of this?" If you hear this, please do so. We'd love to give you some feedback. 
Yeah, August, thanks for writing in. And um, it looks like you have a bunch of interesting issues here. We A lot of times we get so busy that we just throw these onto our agenda and say, hey, we'll talk about it on the show. But um, this is there's too much going on here. So if you could boil it down to some bullet point questions, we would love to uh, get back to you. So thanks for writing. Cool. Next one. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I've become an avid listener to the podcast while preparing for the September and possibly December LSAT. Prior to being an avid avid listener, I signed up for a two-month PowerScore course last May. The course was scheduled to begin in July, but due to a lack of enrollment, it was canceled two weeks before the first class. Brutal. Yeah, that sucks. I received a refund, but it did not include the currency conversion rate I paid using Canadian money. Uh, interesting side note. <laughs> so were you screwed? Um, after making the thoughtless decision of applying to law school before writing the LSAT, I like how they say that in the in Canada, <laughs> writing the LSAT. Um, yeah. For you Americans out there, that's the same as taking, uh, before writing the LSAT, and subsequently scored uh, scoring a 149 in December and a 149 again in February. Eesh. I wonder what happened between the two. Um, I realized that I completely under mes- underestimated the test. I figured that my PTs in the mid to high 50s would be sufficient to secure a spot at a decent Canadian law school with my GPA. So I casually did sections irregularly leading up to each test date. Mm. Not surprisingly, the 149s led to rejection. <laughs> yeah. Having made these mistakes, I turned to Fox LSAT after enjoying the free 2000, June 2007 LSAT lesson. I've been studying on my own at my own pace and have been improving steadily with much more consistency. Thanks, Nathan. Hey, did you write this email, dude? I did not, but I'm going to have to um, give a little kickback to this writer. Hey, remember, we can only write two or three of these emails every time, so... <laughs> I'll try to get in one here soon. I am aiming to score in the mid-160s, but I have yet to surpass 163 in my prep tests or practice tests. I'm scheduled to write my third attempt in September, but given the recent LSAC announcement, I can also write in December. Is four attempts too many? How would you guys interpret this? Do I speak to the 149s in my personal statement? No. Or just let them speak for themselves? Thanks for the great podcast. What do you say? Um, I'm glad that my free class was helpful. That's a uh, foxlsat.com slash free. There's a about five hours video course you can take there and check it out to check out my online class. Um, of course, Ben has the same stuff at strategyprep.com. Um, yeah, taking it again in September, of course, sounds like a good idea. Uh, maybe taking it again in December. Uh, if you think, you know, if your practice tests indicate that you can score higher, then I would always take it again, no matter how many times I had taken it. Yeah, that's the thing is every time you take it, if you're on the margin, <laughs> if you can go up uh, two points or more, it's probably better to go up than to have a record with more tests. So what? Yeah. The extra points are going to help. Yeah, the the 149s on record are, that's that's history that cannot be changed. That's a sunk cost. That's a that's that's in the rearview mirror. Nothing you can do about that. So I wouldn't even think about those. I would be thinking about my practice tests and my highest score on record. And am I a good bet to score higher than that? And if I am, then I would take it again. Always. Yeah. 
Um, this since they lifted this restriction, we're going to see people taking the test four times, five times. It's just oh yeah, stand, I don't think four times reason. is a, a big deal because we're going to yeah, like we're going to see six or whatever. People were routinely taking it three times in the old days, and yeah. now people I think are going to routinely take it four times, five times, six times. I mean, it's a bummer. You don't want to have to do that, but you you should always have open the possibility of doing that if your test day doesn't go the way you hoped. It's just be realistic, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. So yeah, I, (laughs) they're going to discriminate against you for your shitty low scores. They're not going to discriminate against you for how many times you took it. You know, I just had a realization. Um, the SAT does not require you to submit all of your scores. Is that right? I have no idea. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's correct. But in any case, if the if the LSAT really wanted to make or LSAC really wanted to make money, they should make it so that you can take the test as many times as you want, which they've done, and they should allow you to report whatever score you want. So then all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Yes, take it, take it, take it," because you're just going to keep taking it until you hit the score that you want, and there's no risk, there's no downside to taking it because you don't have to submit that score. And man. I think the the coffers would be filling up more than they already are. I mean, they already are filling up a lot, right? But like, why not do that? That would be awesome. Everybody would be happy. They'd make more money. I don't know. Yeah, I I I could see it. it um, maybe they're on that on the road there. Uh, anyway, law schools just. They like to say cryptic things about how they evaluate your whole record and blah, blah, blah. But they, the high score is the one that's going to really matter. Yeah. That's the one that's going to get you in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think there's any problem with taking it again. About this personal statement, I said no to talking about the 149s in the personal statement. That's just a, like, a no always. You don't ever talk about your LSAT score in your personal statement. That's ridiculous. That would be an addendum, if anything. Yeah, right. They might ask you to explain, but there'll be a question on the test that's asking you to explain, and or on the application, there'll be a question that's asking you to explain, and you can just explain whatever, how, whatever, however you want to explain it. I don't think it really matters. They're gonna they're gonna care about the highest score, and that's it. Um, one thing about you know, I'm a little bit worried about Ben's test day performance compared to PTs. Yeah. Um, PTs in the mid to high 150s, and then a pair of 149s on record. The best way to do that is to try to do something special on the day of the test. Um, yep. You know, you try to try to really. I'm gonna today. I'm gonna really get my best one. This is gonna be my best performance ever. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna you know quickly get through these ones. I'm gonna do the first ten questions in ten minutes, oh. so that I can have. T- that's the worst advice ever. <laughs> the worst. The one hundred percent worst advice. Do do the first ten in ten minutes. That's so dumb. Um, you are not capable of doing that. So don't try. And so that's what happens here, right? People, they get stressed out for a variety of reasons, but in this next test is prep test 82. The one after that is prep test 83. If you treat them the same way that you treat your practice tests that you're already taking, then there's no reason why you can't match your, you know, the average of your prep tests. I can't stress this enough. You want to go in there on the day of the test trying to get the average of your last five. Yeah. You're not trying to get the best score you've ever had. You're trying to get the average of your last five. You're trying to replicate your practice test record 
because your practice test record indicates what your actual ability is. Now, when you go in there with a goal of getting the average of your last five, it's totally possible that you get something in the upper half of your range. But if you go in there and try to force some score that you're not capable of consistently replicating, then that brings in all of the really shitty performances. Yep. So that's what, I mean, I, that's my, again, presumption is that when I see people who really score lower on their actual, I want to know what you did differently. Cause I just think you had to do something different. Yeah. No, there, there's two, two ways that people try to perfect their test day performance. They either try to finish more questions than they usually finish. Like, today's mm-hmm. the day, like you said, 10 and 10, or just the whole section, right? Usually that's what it is. Today I'm going to finish the LR section. I never do that. I always get to 22, but today it's the real thing, and I'm I'm really going to nail it. And so they rush through the section, and, of course, they get questions wrong, and they go back and they're like, dang, why did I get question four wrong? Well, maybe it's because you were not even thinking about it. The other way they try to perfect their test is that they um, – they're not going to miss Triple a check. single question, right? Yeah, so like question one, it's like about clowns, and you should be able to nail it in 45 seconds. Not that anyone's timing themselves, hopefully. Right. But um, instead, you're like, well, wait, was that really a strengthen question? Oh, yeah, it was. Okay, does this answer really strengthen the argument? Yeah, it does. Is that the conclusion? Yeah, or, yeah it is. <laughs> you know what else they do is they, they read the wrong answers so carefully yeah. that they then convince themselves that the wrong answers are right. They're, oh, there was a trick here. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna let them trick me on this one. And I'm gonna. Get yeah. It and they overthink right. it. Right. Oh, it can't yeah. be that one. That one's too obvious. That was the ob- that that one. They're just trying to trap me with. So it must be this convoluted one that I don't even understand. No, we go through. Yeah, we. So that's what I'm saying. Treat it like it's one of your practice tests. You wouldn't do that on the practice test. On the practice test, you would read the argument carefully, read the question carefully, make a good prediction, go in the answer choices, probably find it. That's the answer because that's the answer. The easy ones yeah. are easy. Yeah. And the, the wrong answers just look wrong. They're, you don't even have to read every word of the wrong answers. It's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, that one. That's the answer for sure. Boom. And then you're moving on. And yeah, right. So on the test, you're, you're right. That is the other error that people make is that they, they try so hard to just, I really want to make sure I understand every single everything. Do you? I don't even bother understanding the wrong answers. No. I was just talking about this the other day. I was like, uh, and I think we differ a little bit here, but I might read answer choice A, and if I know it's wrong, cross it out. And I might, I might read B and be like, uh, I'm not 100% sure what that's saying. And sometimes there's enough there that I'm like, no, and I cross it out. But sometimes there's enough there that I'm like, well, I maybe vaguely could somehow see this working, sure. but I'm not going to take the time at all. And so many people do. They're like, well, hmm, what does this mean? I'm like, no, no, no. Just right, leave it open. With, and uh, something right. I've been saying lately is like, I'll leave it open, but leaning no, <laughs> right? So okay, it's like, yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure I'm going to cross this out as soon as I find something better, but yeah. I'm not sure. And I don't want to think any more about it right now. So then I go to C right. and I'm like, yeah, wrong. And then I go to D and I'm like, whoa, this is it. And then I've totally forgotten about B. B is out of there. Or sometimes I get to D and I'm still not sure that that's the answer, but I know it's better than B. So I cross out B, look at E, maybe E's the right answer, maybe D's the right answer, whatever. But it's like, why spend any time when you find another answer that you know is the answer, right? It's just totally useless. But people invest all that time in trying to deconstruct it and so forth. I would if the other answers 
didn't work out, right? Or were tempting. Right. If you get through all five and you don't love anything, then you're going to start making a case for one of the answers. But the, no, you, you, the answers are, are probably wrong, right? You're going in there looking for, Hey, this is probably wrong. Mm -hmm. If I see a reason why it's wrong, I mark it off. Otherwise, if I am skeptical, okay, maybe I'll leave it open, but you know, yeah, probably not. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Probably not. Keep going. Probably not. Oh, wait, Hey, this one hard to get rid of this one. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's the answer. The other ones are not moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the wrong answers convince you. Don't don't spend time really giving every wrong answer so much credit and and trying to build a case for it. Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a definitely a mistake of strategy. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's maybe it for Ben. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Uh, you wait, did I just read the last one? You want to read this one? Um, yeah, okay. Ben and Nathan. <laughs> Star, if this qualifies as a wall of text, my main questions are in bold and you can skip to the bottom to make it short. Oh, sorry, skip the bottom to make it shorter because that's mostly compliments. Oh, we're not skipping that. <laughs> no, we're going to read that first. <laughs> uh, whoa. My name is blank, but if you use this for anything, I would prefer Elizabeth, my middle name. Okay, almost fucked that one up. Um, Elizabeth, got it. I have been prepping for the LSAT for about three months. I'm taking the September test, and I am signed up for December. I started at 143, and now I'm consistently scoring in the low 160s. Missing only a few in logic games, five or so total in LR, but I'm missing up to 12 in reading comprehension, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Wait, can we stop right there? You know, mm-hmm. we need um, we need like a sound. You know, on those like cheesy shows where they have like cheering or something. Like, uh-huh. this was a moment where this person needed like a cheering sound or something. That's pretty impressive. One forty three to the low one sixties. Nice work. I have this one. Wait, Wait can you, even hear that? <laughs> you have that? Where the heck is that coming from? <laughs> That's the rap air horn on my phone. I also have this, hold on. I also have this fail board. Let's see if there's any on here that look like they're a plot. How about this? Nice. Yes, we need that. that. Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's what we give her for her, um, for her improvement from 143 to one low 160s. Yeah, it's pretty much 20 points. Nice work. That's awesome. That is a life-changing amount of improvement. That is, uh, that's going to work out really nicely for you. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, we got to talk about this reading comprehension issue. If you can miss five or so total in LR, there is no way you should be missing 12 in oh, reading comp. Nope. Uh, from your podcast and elsewhere, I've heard that the skills required for LR and RC overlap and that somebody scoring as well as I am in LR has the capacity to do well in RC. This makes me feel as if I've got this kit sitting right next to me with all the right shit to do the job, but I do not understand how to use the tools for the specific task. I've been a college student for a long time, and at this point my reading skills seem more tailored to skimming and getting the gist of what's going on. Mm, that could be your problem right there. Yep, yep. I took Thanks a test master's course. It. Yeah. I took a test master's course, and while I think they are pretty solid for games in LR, I do feel as though I have completed the course without a great understanding of RC question types and strategies. Well, 
Keep it simple. I mean, reading comprehension question types, it's uh, basically it's a must be true. I mean, rebuttable presumption. It's a must be true. Yeah. And if you think it's telling you to strengthen or if you think it's telling you to weaken, then yeah, okay, maybe it's strengthen or weaken. But almost all of the reading comprehension questions belong in the must be true family. Yeah. People say, quote, look for argument structure, which obviously works for me in LR, but I clearly have no idea how to apply this to RC. Okay, here's the bold question. Can you guys talk about reading for argument structure in reading comp and general question strategies? I know both of you are on team no annotating, but is it something someone like me should be considering? Ben, have you tried out that, sorry, Ben, you tried out that highlighter technique a while back. Any updates on that? Or is it a turd of wisdom? Um, it must be a turd because I no longer do that. I yeah. I don't. I do remember actually responding to Elizabeth. Now I think we had an email exchange about. Yeah, this. we sent her a couple emails. Yeah, I mean, problem number one, I, I think here is this whole like people say look for argument structure that just <laughs> invites people to skim, right? Like, yeah, just look for keywords, first sentence, last sentence. Yeah, not actually reading it. Yeah, I was just talking to someone the other day, and um, I they actually are a podcast listener, so um, uh, I hope they don't take this the wrong way. But basically, when they came in and we started talking about reading comprehension, uh, they were uh, circul circul circulating. What, what can't I say that word right now? <laughs> circulating. What? What? How do you say that? Whoa! What the heck is wrong with me? Well, <laughs> try again. <laughs> You need the us. Uh, <laughs> they were putting circles around the words that um, that were like transition words. So, for example, however, or you know, uh, in any case, or, uh, things like that. And I, I don't want to misrepresent what they were doing exactly, but um, the problem with that is that although those words are valuable, I am certainly aware of them when the author is quoting someone else and then says, however, and I'm like, oh, however, what are you, like, you going to say now? But the only value that they provide is that they alert me to what is really coming next. And what I really want to know is what was said. Did they agree, disagree? And that's going to come in the content. So when you're looking for structure, it almost invites you to look away from content. And yeah. that is 90% of reading comp. I, I don't... I don't think that you should not be aware of structure. I certainly am. Like I'll pause occasionally and be like, yeah, it seems like this person is trying to support this idea with the stuff that seems to be coming next. Uh, they say, for example, and I'm like, oh, examples are usually evidence for something that was just said, and that kind of makes sense. But this is all in the context of yeah. understanding what was being said, not flipped around. It's It's really like an outdated analogy, but it's totally putting the, the cart before the horse. Yeah. I, I, I don't ever, ever, ever tell anyone to read for structure mm -hmm. at all. I do, those are not words that come out of my mouth. No. I don't tell people to do that on logical reasoning, and I don't tell them to do that on reading comprehension. I tell them to read for engagement. Get involved. Get your teeth into it. Who, what do they want? Who is this person? What do they want? Why are they Why are they here? What do they want? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you're going to pay attention to examples and you're going to pay attention to, of course, if they state their conclusion, if they state an opinion, then yeah, you're looking for that. 
and you are looking for evidence that supports that, but you're doing this in a common sense way of just really understanding what they say. All this circling and highlighting and annotating and stuff, I, I can't imagine that it's really that useful. I had some, I had some good examples with um, Prep Test 81. You've been working a lot with Prep Test 81, Ben? Yeah. I don't want to taint people too much, but the passage about uh, knowing your own mind. Knowing your own mind. Whether you can, now. whether whether we infer our own. Oh thoughts. yeah, yeah, that was a great one. I love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people hate that passage. People suck at that passage because they don't get their teeth into it. Yeah, but I think if you try to understand it and you do understand it, it's awesome. It's like, oh, I never thought about that before. Like, anyway, yeah, it's, sorry, it's it's interesting. Yeah, there there's there's some good examples, or there's one good example in that passage, and I'm gonna have to skirt around it here because I don't want to, you know, I can't. Oh, I'm not going to read the test, but and I can't. I don't want to taint people too much if they haven't done prep test 81 yet. Ah, who cares? You're learning. There's a line in the very beginning where it says something about they did these experiments with little kids and they found that the kids were misdescribing their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I read that and I went, wait a minute. How the hell do you possibly know that they're misdescribing their own thoughts? Yep. How do you know that? Yeah. I am. That's fascinating. I'm not saying you're lying, but I am very curious how you know that these kids are misdescribing their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Read the whole entire path. They don't answer it. They don't tell you. It's not satisfying. They don't tell you. They don't tell you. You go through seven questions, and I think it's the last question on the passage. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And it's like, why, why did they, why did the, te- why did the people, why did they use kids for these experiments? It can be inferred that they used kids for, for which one of these reasons? And I go, I don't know, but are you talking about the kids that were making the mistakes? And I don't know why they were making mis- Why were they making these mistakes? I don't know. And that's the only thing I know about those kids is that they were making, I, I, I still am curious how you know that they were misdescribing their own thoughts. I'm, I'm very curious how you know that they were making these mistakes. Anyway, the answer to that question is they were making mistakes. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't really, I didn't, I don't really know. I don't know. But I, the only thing I know about these kids just is what the answer is. Yeah. And it's like, that's not reading for structure. I mean, it is question type oriented because that's a must be true question. It's, it says it can be inferred that they used the kids for which one of these reasons. Yeah. And I can infer. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm inferring shit. That means must be true. Uh, that means which one do we have the best evidence for? And the only answer there that you have even a shred of evidence for is that the kids were making mistakes. Yeah. And, and so that's just the answer because it's a must be true question. But the way you get there is by really digging in, I think, like just getting, getting super skeptical. Can I give one, uh, it's not to ramble too much, but there's one more that I'm excited about too. The, is it the same test? Is it the dowsing passage also? It is. Um, I'm not remembering that. What was that about exactly? The dowsing? Dowsing, you know, like where you go walk around with a oh, stick yeah, and find yeah, water. Oh, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying, yeah, finding the water. Yeah, cool. Uh-huh. There's a, there's a question there 
where you get it right if you are super, super skeptical mm-hmm. of dowsing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just think this is bullshit, this sounds like bullshit, and yeah. if you're just criticizing. Because they present in the last paragraph, I think, they present this shady evidence. It, it On the surface, it sounds like the, a study that supports the idea of dowsing. Yeah. Right? And it's like, oh boy, it was an extensive study with many people and across many countries and it showed these results. And then there's an answer that basically says this is potentially bullshit. And so yeah. all you had to do there is just be like really critically reading it and digging in and asking them questions, you know. Hey, these experts that you supposedly compared them to, what kind of experts were these? Where'd you get these experts? Um, shit like that. And you just, you get so into it, you get you dig into it so much and then it just becomes easy. But sorry for rambling, but none of that is related to reading for argument structure. No. And, and Not the, the way I, want, I see it. Wait, what? Not the way I see it. I mean, I yeah. just don't understand it that way. I don't think it's useful to talk about reading for structure. I, I think that that's the exact opposite probably of what I'm doing. Yeah. What you're doing is you're putting what should come out of reading for content you realize yeah. that something is a conclusion or a premise, and you may even consciously note that, but it's because of what was said, not because you're somehow looking for that um, before looking for content. That's what just is like blows my mind, but that's what people end up doing, literally. They're just like, oh, that seems like – that seems like that's supporting it because it says, for example, so I know that that's supporting it and I don't even know what it is. And you're like, well, yeah. that's totally useless. But when I, mm. when I taught for PowerScore at the very beginning of my career, um, you know, they had me take the LSAT and just threw me right into a classroom and I was the, I was the guy. And I would go in through the lessons and they had this acronym in reading comprehension. It was MOST, I think, M-O-S-T. Mm-hmm. And it was... Um, you're reading for main point opinion. I don't. I don't even remember structure and tone. Hmm. I think. I think that's what it was. Main main idea, author's opinion, uh, structure and tone. Most M O S T. And for one, I can't separate main opinion from. Uh, sorry, I cannot str- separate main point from author's opinion from tone. Those are all the same thing. So I, we don't need an acronym for that. Yeah. That's do you understand what they want? Yeah. Do you understand what they're saying? Do you understand what they want? And then as far as the structure is concerned, I just think reading for structure is a turd anyway. I, I don't that is not a thing that I do. Well, but just to clarify and what I think I'm trying to say, and I don't think we necessarily disagree here, you are aware of the structure, right? As you go through the content. Or but I am not, not aware at all. No, I, I'm not I'm not like, well, <laughs> Only vaguely. I mean, I guess I might, at the paragraph breaks, just sort of notice, okay, well, so far all you've done is you've brought up Wynton Marsalis and you've said some things about his what he's done in the past. Like, what? I don't know if you're going to say this is good or bad. I don't know. I don't know where you're going. But I'm just like, what are you doing? Okay, great. You introduced this guy. Yeah. It's I not mean, like I, I'm documenting the structure, though. Yeah. I, um, what is it that I'm doing? I, I feel like it's the same way that I I might read a um, like a uh, a role question or something like that. Like I'll read the argument and I'll be focusing one hundred percent on what it's saying, 
And what comes out of that is the main conclusion. And then they might ask, what role does a particular part of the passage play? And I might not know right then and there. And I just go back and I think about how that part relates to the main conclusion, which I have identified just naturally through the content. And then I say, oh, well, that seems to be a premise or an intermediate conclusion or whatever. I feel like I'm doing the same thing in reading comp. As I'm reading through the passage, um, I am focusing on the content, and then what comes out of that is the main conclusion occasionally. Sometimes I'll predict incorrectly. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, this seems like what the author's trying to prove, and then it's like, oh, it goes in a different direction. I'm like, oh, okay, so I guess the author's trying to prove something else. Now, if there's a particular question that asks me what's the role of the second paragraph or something like that or what's the primary purpose of the second paragraph, I don't have that in mind, but given what I thought or where I thought the main conclusion seemed to be sort of embodied or at least touched on, I see how that second paragraph relates to that, and then I'd be like, oh, well, it's this. So I am predicting it after the fact. I'm not reading for that structure as or on that level as I go through, but I'm definitely aware of what the passage is trying to prove, if anything, and that is a form of structure, right? So I don't feel like it's like entirely absent. You can call it that if you want. I just don't think it's a useful thing to be thinking. I don't think it's a useful... Uh, to me, I don't find it to be a useful way to explain to people what I'm doing. Yeah. And I, don't, I do not encourage them to read for structure. I really think if you encourage someone to read for structure, they're going to start skimming, looking for keywords you know, and not actually just paying attention and, and asking questions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to say something else about what you were saying in terms of like the, uh, the thinking passage and the, the searching for water passage. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times when we're talking about right answers and wrong answers for reading comprehension in class, uh, people will be struggling with a particular question. I'll say, hey, like, I don't know what the answer is here. And then I'll be like, well, hey, did you see line seven? Uh, oh, the answer's right there. I didn't read. I don't remember that. Oh, I hate this test. This test is so annoying. Like, that's just one random line in this whole passage, and they expected me to remember it. And if you remember it, you get it right. And if you don't remember no. it, you get it wrong. And I'm like, if you engage with these passages – this is like what you're saying, which are only 14 to 16 sentences long. Then when you encounter things and you don't understand them, then you pause and you reinterpret them and reread them and try to understand what's being said. That process, that back and forth engages you with a text, with the text on a level that the other <laughs> test takers aren't. And then you remember stuff because it's easy once you've translated something into your own words. You're like, wait, what? And then you're like, oh, okay. Or you're being critical. Maybe it's not hard to understand, but you're not thinking about it enough. But when you do think about it and what the person is saying, then it becomes 10 times easier to remember it. And so many times I'm going through answer choices and I'm like, oh yeah, well B, they said this. And people are like, well, wait, they said this? Where did they say it? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I just know they said this and then I'm going back and you know I need to justify my answer with some sort of line number but 
for the time being, I'm telling them, I know they said this. I remember this discussion. And that's because of the level of engagement that I have with the passages. Yeah. And so when you're not remembering things, it's not because the tr- test is just trying to like get you or it's some sort of got you thing. It's that you didn't engage with that line yeah. enough. And you need to ask yourself, why? why? Why don't you remember that? Do you remember anything around that? What were you thinking yeah. at the time? All the, all of the, uh, the confusing bits, the the bits that might make you stumble, or the bits that might make your eyes glaze over, the things you don't quite understand when you read it the first time through, or if you don't read it carefully the first time, those are the answers basically. Yeah, those are the those are that all of those. When Ben does it, or when I do it, I read that and I go, "Huh, wait, what?" And I. Yeah. I engage, I ask them a question in my head. I think, whoa, I wonder why you, huh, maybe, oh, maybe you mean, huh, maybe you mean this. And that's just the answer to one of the yeah. questions yep. later. Yeah. Or they, you know, they refer me back to that part and I go, oh yeah, I remember when they were talking about that because I was really confused about, you know, again, why did these goddamn, how do you know that these kids were making these mistakes? And it's like, mm-hmm. but but the the naive, you know, the, or the just the, the kid who's worried about time or the kid who thinks these passages are boring, they just they just breeze right past that. Just don't even notice. Don't even notice. They just said that they know what's inside these kids' heads even when the kids don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to catch shit like that. The lawyer in the room, right? If this is a meeting mm-hmm. and we're all reviewing this document, yeah. the lawyer is the one who says, hold on a second. I know it's only line eight and I know we have 60 lines to get through. But you just said that you know what's in these kids' head, even though they're misdescribing what's in the kid. How do you know that? Mm-hmm. That's what. That's the lawyer in the room, grinding everything to a halt so that we can clarify this issue. Well, yeah, those are what the questions are going to ask you. Yeah. All right. Where were we? I think we were at the end of that oh, right. bolded okay. part. So yes, the let's compliments, get to the compliments are next, maybe? <laughs> you might be too busy to respond before the September test, but I am thinking about the long game, and I am cautiously optimistic that a simple nudge in the right direction could help me for December. And maybe I'm burying the lead here a bit, but I cannot thank you guys enough for the podcast. I owe so much of my LR prowess to your June 2007 LSAT discussions. Oh, that's my free class on my website. Thank you very much. And everything I have learned from listening to the podcast feels like a weapon at my disposal. I have most of Nathan's books. I regularly watch Ben's explanation videos on strategyprep.com. And I frequently use and suggest the strategyprep.com score tracker to others. I talk about your podcast to my test master's classmates all the time, and I'm pretty sure I have successfully converted every one of them by this point, even if it was just to get me to shut up about it. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty funny. Awesome. Thank you for everything you do for the LSAT community. You will have a lawyer listener in me long after my LSAT days are over. A listener and a friend, smiley face, Elizabeth. Lovely. Uh. Yeah, that was awesome. I think we need one more uh, applause for the telling people. Everyone in your class. If you can convert everyone in your class, you get an applause. <laughs> All right, I'll work on that. I'll get it, I'll get it <laughs> okay. queued up for next time. Next time, thanks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Are we done? Uh, sure, yeah, we can leave it there. We, uh, I feel like we've done enough for the people today. 
We've done enough for the people. Let them eat cake. Our work um, here is done. Okay. You can email the show at uh, help at thinkinglsat.com if you'd like to get show notes in your email box. You can subscribe at thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. If you want to do us a favor, you can rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the show. Um, anything else, Ben? Dude, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, I just went on to iTunes the other day and I noticed that we have 103 ratings. Sweet. That's pretty crazy. That's cool. Thank you, everyone. I feel like that should be more like a thousand since we've had hundreds of thousands of downloads now. Yeah, get it together. <laughs> it's still a lot, man. That's pretty good. I was, I was like, I think the last time I checked, it was like fifty or something. So that surprised me, I guess. But, anyways, these emails next time. A little teaser for next time. We have a a subject line that says "recovered alcoholic and bad GPA." Hmm. Can't wait to talk cool. about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. That'll be on episode 108. Uh, thanks for listening. Tell a friend, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot. See ya.